Hello everyone, um, so welcome to this year's Mental Health Awareness combined with November Panel Talk. I'm Charlotte, this year's Wellbeing and Sports Officer, and I sat on the Mental Health Awareness Panel Talk last year, so I'm very happy to be back but hosting today. And we all sit on this panel today because we're passionate about promoting positive, positive mental health and breaking the stigma around mental health. Whether this is because we've experienced mental health issues ourselves or whether we know someone who's struggled in the past, it was important for us to run this talk today because especially at this time of year and after the past two years, everyone has been affected in some way. Mental health today is impacting people more so than ever. Today we want to have an honest discussion about mental health issues. We know that no mental health problem is the same and there's no one quick fix, but hopefully by having this discussion, we'll encourage some of our fellow students, staff and wider society to continue this discussion. We want to normalise discussing mental health and to encourage people to speak up on a hugely human issue. I would also like to note that we may be talking about some sensitive issues today, so if you find anything upsetting, please feel free to leave at any point. We'll also be having a break halfway through if you feel as though you need to leave then. And before I go any further, I would like to take the time to welcome today um, our guests. So to all our guests, if you could say a little bit about yourselves, why you're here, and why mental health is important to you, that would be fantastic. Um, firstly, we have Andy from Andy's Man Club. Hello, Andy, how are you? <laughs> I'm all right, thank you. Uh, can you hear me at the back? Actually, can you hear me without? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, I run Andy's Man Club in, in Sheffield. Uh, we were in the city centre and now we're in the, the south of the city. A little bit about myself then. Um, I'm a retired police sergeant. Uh, I worked for 30 years as a cop. I was team leader, uh, team sergeant for 15 years on everything from uh, neighbourhood disputes, low-level crime, right through to murder scenes, rape scenes, kidnappings, extortion, uh, murder, etc., etc., you'll name it, which is why I lost my hair. Um, in terms of what we're talking about today, for 26 of those 30 years, I was operational, boots on the ground, either driving beat cars around, working in CID, working in drugs, or, or as a team leader for 15 years. And unfortunately, part of the day job for being a cop is dealing with death. Um, and I come at it very, very straightforwardly. Uh, part of that is dealing with suicides. Now, I would deal with suicides probably minimum twice, if not up to five or six times a year. Over 26 years, you work out the maths. It's a lot. Um, it's horrific, it's really, really difficult to deal with, and it does leave something behind. I have six friends who took their own lives, sadly. Uh, four were serving police officers, two were retired. The one thing they all had in common was they were all really, really good people. Really good people. Uh, who, whether people like cops or not, and that is actually, frankly, irrelevant, they signed up to do a really tough job for 30 years to serve the public and to help people. Clearly, we lost them, uh, and I know the value of some of those people. In 1984, a guy called Barry came on my team and introduced me to my, my wife of 35 years now. Uh, Barry would then take his own life in 1995, and he was the first friend of mine to do that. We're godparents to his first daughter, so we've, we've got that, that thread running through it. Uh, and in 2009, while a serving team sergeant, dealing with all the sexy stuff that you see on television, mainly narrated by Danny Dyer for some reason, um, I had a mental breakdown in 2009. I completely, in my words, and my words only, fell over. That's the way I, I put it when I talk to people. Uh, and I had to take some serious time out to, to recover, to recuperate, 
and to get some of the imagery that's in my mind from 26 years of policing before that and I'll leave you to think about what that might look like uh, out of the head. So I have a very, very personal knowledge of this uh, in every level. I began working with Andy's Man Club at the end of 2018 um, and we've been going for almost three years now. It's really, really successful. Um, we've got one site in the south of the city. We're going back to the centre of the city in February and I've got my eye on another venue in the north of the city uh, probably within the next 12 months. I'll probably get it done actually by May, I would have thought, but we shall see. Uh, so why is it important to me? I talk about mental health because as somebody who used to wear a uniform, a flight jacket, carry kit and equipment, lead firearms teams, I was supposed to be invincible. I'm not. Therefore, you are not. So that's what this is about for me. It's just saying to people, if it can happen to me, when I'm supposed to be the solver of everybody's problems and the doer of good deeds, it can come and hit anybody. So it's just about raising awareness. I really struggled, really, really struggled for about a year. Um, and when I come to places like this, be it this number or up to 200, I'm talking to one person in the room. One person who needs to hear what I'm talking about and needs to hear that wonderful phrase, you are not alone, because you're not. All right, I'm really pleased to be here tonight because you guys are under a lot of pressure when you're at uni, you're away from home, deadlines, essays, exams, etc., etc., etc. And I know it can come and, and, uh, and bite you as well. My son was a student at Edinburgh Vet School for five years and he struggled in his last year, so I know where it is. Um, for me, it's all about preventing the devastation of suicide and families being affected by it. They say that every suicide affects around 130 people. I think it affects a lot more because it takes away potential, potential of people in the future. Uh, and you never know, particularly at your age, what you're going to become. I had dreams at your age. Some of my dreams came true, some of them didn't, and that's all right, because I did other things as well. Uh, but you need to get on and enjoy it. So if, if it opens up a discussion about mental health, which is what this is all about, then, uh, then I'm really pleased to be here and, uh, and talking to you all tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Um, and thank you for being so open with everyone already. Um, I think it might be easier. I might just keep passing the mic down and then if everyone just introduces themselves and then says a bit about themselves as we go, that's okay. So Abby, I'll pass on to you. Hi, um, I'm Abby, I'm with Rohan. We're from the Mental Health Matters Society. Um, so I'm here obviously representing the society and that you know kind of who we are and the socials that we have on. Um, and I'm also here just from my own personal experience of mental health as well. Um, just kind of like, making people aware of the access that's around in Sheffield after I had a really difficult time in first year. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. Uh, and this is Tom. Hey, yeah, um, I'm Tom. I'm the Mature Students Officer here um, at the Students' Union. Um, I mean, it's generally said that every mature student has a story. That's why they're a mature student. That's why they didn't come to university at the regular age. And, you know, mine is that um, I suffered from depression and anxiety since childhood. Um, I had severe agoraphobia for several years. Um, I've attempted to take my own life three times. Um, and, you know, the, the reason I, I sort of agreed to be here tonight is because I'm quite passionate about making sure that others don't take as long to get as help that I did. 
I think it's extremely important to sort of make sure that people get help as soon as they possibly can because I don't want anyone to be in a situation that I was in about six years ago. Hello, uh, my name's Rohan. I'm president of the Mental Health Matters Society. I'm with Abby, who's our events and publicity officer. Um, I'm here as a representative of the society um, just to say a little bit about our society. We're sort of advocating spreading awareness for mental health issues in order to eradicate the stigma. We're trying to run socials to com combat loneliness because given the stressful time the pandemic has, it's been a stressful time. <laughs> um, and the people are still sore from that. Despite lockdown being lifted, we're still in a pandemic. COVID is still affecting our lives daily. So it's normal to still feel overwhelmed and it's hard to adjust because people are still healing and healing takes time and it's an open wound. And if you try to rush it, you end up scarred. So we really wanna advocate the fact that you're not alone and that you have somewhere to go to to be around people that understand what it's like to struggle with their mental health. To get a bit personal, I struggle with anxiety and depression. It took me a while to really acknowledge it. And that's to do with the stigma prevalent in male populations, which goes in hand with toxic masculinity, where men are sort of taught to prescribe to this stoic and masculine archetype where we're supposed to be unfeeling breadwinners and showing emotion as a sign of weakness. But now I've learned that being vulnerable is a strength which enables us to reach out for support. So as a man, I want to advocate to other men to open up about their emotions because it doesn't make you any weaker. And essentially, don't suffer in silence because it's human nature to feel emotions and bottling those emotions up has dire consequences, not only on yourself, but your loved ones. It comes out as aggression and that aggression negatively impacts women predominantly um, in terms of domestic violence and assault. So ultimately, I really want to advocate for men to open up about their feelings, not just in Movember, but Movember being a catalyst to carry on this conversation going on now. But I'll leave it there um, and I'll pass it on. Um, so I'm Zoe, um, I'm the ambassador for Oddballs um, and if you didn't know what that is, it is a testicular cancer charity. Um, so I'm here to tell you about testicular cancer a bit later um, because it's Men's Health Month which includes physical health problems as well as me mental health problems. 
but obviously we're breaking down the stigmas we're talking about everything today um, I'm also a student here um, and I am a third year medic so know a bit about that as well and what mental health means to me it's very important to check on your own mental well-being um, it's crucial to being happy and stable and without it it can make life a lot more difficult um, but obviously people shut it away which is the major problem and no one should be struggling alone and that we should all be supporting each other so I'm here to talk about that as well. Hi, so I'm Becky. Um, I'm the public face for Sheffield Nightline. Um, last year I was the internal coordinator, um, but I've been a volunteer at Nightline for about four years now. For those of you who don't know, um, Nightline is a student-run listening service similar to Samaritans. Um, you might not know it, but you carry our phone number around with you probably every day because it's on the back of your student card, so if you ever need us, that number is there. Um, just about me generally, um, I'm a student, I'm a fourth year, so I study a master's in psychology. Um, I'm a clinical mental health support worker at a specialist eating disorder hospital and I work in um, research looking at psychological, um, positive psychology techniques to support students as well. Um, I'm really happy to be here today. Mental health is a really important topic for me and I'm really passionate about having conversations to reduce the stigma. Thank you. Thank you everyone. Um, we had some really insightful introductions from everyone there um, and I really appreciate how open and honest everyone has been about their own mental health journey. Um, so there we have our guests. Um, we have quite a few panel guests today but um, before, so before we go into the main discussion I just want to say that um, I'm happy for anyone in the audience to also get involved and share their experience if they'd like to, um, if you just put your hand up, if possible, um, I can invite you to speak. Um, I kind of wanted it to be an interactive panel, panel talk as well as all of us sharing our experiences. I thought it'd be nice if anyone wanted to also get involved, but there's no pressure to do that. Um, also, we're going to have a small Q&A at the end, so no pressure to get involved earlier on, but yeah. Um, so the first topic that we're going to focus on is COVID-19 and mental health. I know we're probably tired of hearing about it, um, but it doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and it's impossible to ignore the effect that this pandemic has had on mental health, particularly amongst students. The social isolation, disruptions to physical activity and behavioural health will certainly continue to impact us. So let's take the time to talk about what we have learned from the pandemic and how this can help us moving forward. So firstly, as students studying during and sort of coming out of the pandemic, um, how has this affected yourselves and other students and what has helped you throughout? Um, Becky, can I ask you first? Thank you. So um, personally for me, I'm still adjusting to things getting back to normal. As you can probably tell, I'm ill again. It isn't COVID, but I'm vulnerable to infection. Um, so it's it's been a concern for me throughout the pandemic and um, personally my family, um, my dad particularly is immunosuppressed so he doesn't have an immune system due to a transplant um, so as a family that's something we have to take extremely seriously. Um, it can be really difficult to process how we feel in such a high pressured and emotional times that we're experiencing at the moment. Um, so for some students they're really excited for things to get back to normal and look more like a normal university experience. Um, some of us are still apprehensive about crowds, clubs and things like that. 
um, it can be difficult to process how to go from being told don't go near other people, other people are dangerous, they'll give you a horrible disease, to no, it's fine, you can go and hug other people again, you don't need to wear a mask, oh no, wait, now you need to wear a mask again, that can be really difficult to process, um, and it can be really emotional, um, and it can be a lot to um, cope with alongside university, um, particularly when you're looking at your university experience as the best day of your lives, it puts a lot of pressure on that experience. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, I just wondered if anyone else wanted to add anything to that. Tom, would you like to add as a fellow student? Yeah. <coughs> oh. No, um, when we originally went into the pandemic, my greatest fear that was that um, everything that I'd fought for, um, my second chance basically had been taken away. Um, and similarly, my, um, my my sister suffers very badly from um, well, for, she she she's very nervous around germs. Let's put it that way. Um, so when the world kind of went into a situation when we were being told that you had to clean every service multiple times to get rid of the germs, basically, the um, everything that therapists have been telling her for years you didn't have to worry about suddenly the government was telling her it was very true so my my entire family kind of had a difficult situation early on the pandemic and I think what what helped me um, in particular was the sense of community that I had with other students you know the sort of the group chats the the, the zoom parties and that we all eventually got sick of but in the early early days they really sort of helped me through and um you know I'm also on the the history rugby team and um, even when the university was sort of mostly locked down sort of libraries were impossible to get a seat in and classes were still online we we still met up every Wednesday for a game of touch and you know just having that sort of guaranteed day every single week just to sort of interact with other humans um <laughs> which sounds silly to say now but just uh, have a guaranteed sort of conversation that wasn't covid related and just have a bit of a laugh was just just really sort of helped me get through that year i think yeah i know exactly what you mean i think i definitely relied on a lot of those zoom calls to have a bit of an outlet whilst we were in the three lockdowns um i wondered if anyone else wanted to add anything um about that as a student sorry would you yeah yeah um so i think ooh, <laughs> that it's hard um as well because obviously we're out of lockdown and it's a big expectation oh everything's back to normal should we all be having a good time and everything which is i think is a lot of pressure because um, we had a lot that we didn't have to do as much in lockdown and now we've got deadlines, we've got uni nine to five and we're expected to just jump straight back in. With all the socialising as well, I think it's really hard um, and I do know a lot of people are feeling the pressure in that sense um, because there's no excuse anymore before in lockdown, fair enough. We were all going through a lot. Um, it was isolating um, but still I feel like a lot of people probably do still feel isolated um, in different ways um, 
But yeah, I think that the hard part is expected to go back to normal and it hasn't really felt the same as it was before. Yeah, I know I know what you mean about that. Um, I remember because I'd had to like shelter for the first three months and then we had, we just adhered to all, obviously all the uh, lockdowns in like lockdown two and then lockdown three. And then I remember trying to go out and be around people again. And I just have a panic attack every time I was around more than like five people. So it is definitely hard when you've got that expectation of kind of being around people again when it is, hasn't been your normal for so long. Um, so I've, I thought I'd move on now to um, my next question. So Andy, um, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing us now in terms of our mental health coming out of the pandemic and how best do you think we can support each other? Thank you. Um, I think the pandemic for me is, uh, is this is gonna sound a little bit flippant. It's just another traumatic situation that people like me sort of seen and dealt with for years and years and years. Um, if you deal with suicides, if you deal with a serious crime, a murder or a rape or a fatal accident, uh, you're dealing with people who are in chaos uh, because they don't know what's happening and they don't know why. Uh, because they're struggling to come to terms with what's going on. And it's, it's very similar in terms of the after effect of a major incident such as the floods in 2007. If anybody remembers that or around South Yorkshire, um, we had a 48 hour severe flooding event that affected the whole of the county. It wiped out businesses, it wiped out houses. We, we lost two people, two people died in the floods. Thousands and thousands of cars were ruined uh, and it's taken years and years to get back. And why I'm talking about that is this, the similarity is the term that we call the new normal. You cannot go through a personally traumatic event or a regional or a city-wide traumatic event and still think things are gonna go on as they did before. They're not, they're really not. I often describe it as this, it's like somebody's set a bomb off and everything's up in the air in terms of somebody's life. And then the pieces drop down in a different way. And I think that's what's happening after COVID because all the expectations, all the normal that we had before, it's actually not normal anymore. Uh, the fears that you've, you've rightly talked about, the fears that you've mentioned, um, are very, very real. They're really real and it will only settle in time. I think we've all got to accept that this is here to stay for a while. The new variants are gonna keep popping up left, right and center. Uh, and I think the biggest challenge to answer the question is settling and people understanding that it's okay to feel a bit unnerved. It's okay to feel a bit off the rails because you're unsure about what's going on. People like me have had a lot of experience dealing with trauma. You guys haven't. This is all new. Um, and it's not easy for me either, because even as a retired cop, I was sat at home, locked away, my wife's doing her job still full time, my son's working with the university and having to do it all on Zoom. So I've seen it from different angles. It's a bit scary, and I get it. And it's all right for it to be a bit scary, you know, because that's what life is. So it's actually the dealing with that uncertainty and change, and in terms of supporting each other, I think it's very much similar to the mental health discussion actually being present without actually having to say a lot in the first instance is enough sometimes to support people just so they know physically that you're there that you're with them and then you can start the discussions from there supporting each other being aware of each other's values and needs and requirements at certain times and sometimes the hardest part of this is this exact point 
it's sometimes tough to know when they don't want you to talk to people about it when they need that time on their own to, to develop ideas and thought processes so um, looking after each other showing genuine care going out your way and just making that call or sending that text every now and then can just be enough I'm not going to go too deep into what we can do to support each other because I can talk to you all night about that it starts with that basic humanity and contact I think uh, and it's not just guys and guys it's guys and girls girls and guys everybody together because you're all in a similar situation it's all right. yeah um i was gonna say i remember this being brought up at last year's panel talk but um one thing i said then which i feel like it kind of reflects now is when someone asks if you're okay or asks how your day's gone be quite honest in how it's been for you because then they're more likely to be honest back can, um, I, can I just come in there and yeah. just say, if you're going to ask that question, are you okay? Be prepared for a range of answers. Don't expect, I'm fine, I'm yeah. okay. Be expected to be there and having a coffee or having a chat or whatever. If you're going to open that conversation up, just be aware. You might be the one who's just taking the lid off Pandora's box. And that's not to scare you. That's because people trust you enough to talk in that way. Yeah? That's great. Um, thank you. Um... Right, sorry, I lost where I was. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, Becky, um, what about you? Have you um, seen any common themes in what students are facing? Um, yeah, so I mean, as a call taker for four years now, um, if you were to call Nightline, there's probably nothing we haven't heard so don't feel that you were going to call with something um that's too big for us or too small for us we always say nothing's too big or too small um but within kind of that spectrum there is um some common themes that we do see um one of those is anxiety um that might be about academic worries um concerns about housemates or family um concerns about low mood or concerns about existing mental health conditions so according to mind one in four students um not one in four students one in four people in the uk um, will experience a mental health condition in any given year um so you're not alone um but also for some students it can be difficult to juggle university life um perhaps with a working life a social life um particularly this year when a social life didn't really take up as much of our kind of um life capacity as we had last year it takes up a lot more this year um and alongside that there might be additional pressures so the pandemic um people might have been ill from the pandemic themselves um family struggles um and also mental health issues on top of that um so they are some of the common themes that we see um but within that we also do see um an increase in more serious contacts um such as those surrounding suicide um or severe depression self-harm and things like that um, we do. We are there to talk about suicide or suicidal thoughts. Um, if anyone did want to talk about that, um, Nightline is always there to listen. Thank you, Becky. Um, so, Abby, um, what do you make of these comments? And first of all, how do you manage to balance being a member of Mental Health Matters Society while studying? And I wondered if you had any planned events coming up. Um, <clears throat> so first of all, um, balancing work. Um, I feel like, uh, so a lot of my friends, we have these chats all the time actually about like the expectation 
especially coming out of the pandemic, that everyone's like gone back to normal life like straight away. And like everyone's doing really exceptional things like all the time and people are being really productive. And actually like most people are kind of just average and are doing average things every day. Um, so I'm kind of like getting better at like not forcing myself to do like everything in one day and like you know commit to everything that I'm interested in so actually I haven't really got a lot going on <laughs> um obviously I've got my studies and then the mental health matter society is the only society I'm actually on I'm not pressuring myself to do too much um I did a lot before the pandemic and then when the pandemic came I kind of realized how much I needed a break and it kind of changed my life <laughs> um so yeah I've been handling that really well actually um we have a meeting every Monday and there's no pressure to attend um you know people have things on I think one thing that has come out of the pandemic is that you know we're not robots humans have feelings and you know other commitments um and I think particularly in our society we're very understanding of that um and I think it's something that we should be more understanding of um and I've found through like getting support with the university as well that my lecturers and like the support staff really do understand that um and there's no kind of weakness in saying that you need to drop out of things or that you know you need some more time um in terms of the events that we've got planned <laughs> wow <laughs> um so we haven't got anything planned um until after exams now um we want to do our annual trip to the alpaca farm which i haven't done before but it sounds very exciting um and then we were thinking of maybe doing a pub crawl and kind of like aligning it with feeling more comfortable in sheffield feeling more comfortable in social situations um so you know kind of just taking it slow and going out with people that you can trust and that you can talk to and kind of just yeah like spending time with like-minded people and you know getting to know sheffield that way particularly for first years because you know and actually second year too because you know we were in this lockdown when we turned 18 19 um and now we're all expected to be going out and enjoying going out and enjoying the experience and actually that's not always how it goes it, it can be really anxiety provoking especially for someone that didn't go out before the pandemic as well you've got that added anxiety of oh gosh like you know am i going to come home and you know something terrible happened and i test positive and things like that so um so yeah, that's um, a couple of the socials we've got planned, but just keep updated if you're interested, um, just on the Facebook and the Instagram page, really. I think that's where we put most of our stuff. Um, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Rohan? Or... No. No, fab. <laughs> yeah, that's it then. That's great, thank you. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean about seeing everyone posting exactly what they're doing. I feel like LinkedIn is definitely a place where I've started not going on there as much because that is definitely somewhere where I feel like I'm not doing as much as everyone else but um yeah so I can see what you're saying about that um and I guess this question is also a follow-up um to the one I asked Andy earlier but I wondered what steps do any of you personally take to support others um Rohan um I might go to you first with that one yeah so to reiterate what Andy discussed it's about being present it's about reaching in because we can't always expect people to reach out because it can be quite daunting to open up and admit that you're struggling in the first place so it is really important to identify the warning signs if you see your friend perhaps is socially withdrawn or looking a bit disheveled or not being not being themselves being a little irritable um 
it's important to start that conversation by asking them, how are you? Are you okay? And to echo what Andy said, you need to expect that they might not say they're okay. And that's to be expected because you want them to say something other than I'm okay. Because a lot of people say, how are you? Out of just sort of this trivial sort of greeting rather than an, a genuine question of how are you feeling? So a step to support people is really to just let them know that you're there and that you care, that they matter. It's really important to practice empathy rather than sympathy. They're not looking for solutions necessarily. They're looking for, for someone who will listen to them so they feel heard so that their thoughts and feelings are validated so they don't feel like they're, they're stupid or they're weak. You really want to reassure them that what they're feeling is valid and that you'll support them in signposting them to relevant support services. Obviously, we're not therapists. It's not our job to administer direct interventions to support individuals, but just listening, showing compassion and empathy and directing them to support services is really big step because as I said it it lets them know that they matter so participating in active listening compassion and empathy and reaching in are really the best ways you can support someone you feel may be struggling with their mental health um, I'll pass it on someone else <laughs> thank you <laughs> and um i wondered um tom did you have anything that you wanted to add to that you... um, i think everything i have to yeah, it's already <laughs> been summed <laughs> up <laughs> did anyone have anything they wanted to add sorry yeah yeah i don't want to repeat because obviously that's quite a good answer um but i think it's good to make sure you go out your way to ask um if people are okay and then take time to stop also like when you ask the question don't just rush off make sure you wait for them to even if they've answered to change their mind if they have something else they want to get off their chest and yeah listening is very important because obviously it's really hard to know what to say and I think it's also hard to know what to do after someone might have told you something quite big because I've had a few of my friends tell me things that have shocked me and I've not expected it and I go away and think, oh gosh, I didn't say the right thing. What do I do now? And it's also important to look after yourself, to not feel that pressure. Um, just let them know that you're there to help them whenever they need it. Um, and always double check um, if someone's all right. And if you haven't seen someone for a while, message them, check they're okay, what, what they're getting up to. Um, and I play hockey and in our committee, we're doing anonymous forms that people can say about how they're feeling and then we can reply and tell them what to do and who they can speak to and I know that in rugby as well um, the inclusions officer sits in raw from 12 till 1am which is a massive commitment but um, that's quite a good place to talk as well because 
obviously people are drinking but people might be more likely to open up then because um, they don't feel as much pressure and that no one's really watching and that they can just say what they want to say which is, I think is really good so having those support systems there in sports societies as well and in clubs is good thank you thank you I think that was a really good point um, especially about when you're supporting others making sure that you're looking after yourself as well um, I think sometimes we, I definitely can be guilty of kind of not thinking about how it might be affecting myself and only wanting to look after other people but I think that it, to make sure you can fully support them sometimes you have to do you do have to look after yourself um, so this is the last question I wanted to ask about kind of COVID-19 and what we've kind of found out from the pandemic. Um, I thought I'd just ask everyone, is there anything you took up during the lockdowns or since the pandemic, which you found really interesting or beneficial to yourself personally, which you may not have done if it wasn't for the pandemic, which you'll keep doing going forward? That was quite, didn't word that greatly. Oh, we've got, okay, <laughs> um, Becky. Thanks. Um, it's a bit of a weird one and it's not necessarily mental health related, but um, I took up crochet because as someone who's like, I love to be busy, um, even throughout the pandemic, I still manage to be busy. I'm a busy person, I always am. And there was a few times I had an operation, I was forced to sit still for two weeks. And for me, that was like torture. I hated it. So I took up crochet and now it really helps me keep my hands busy so whatever I'm doing whatever I'm watching sometimes even in meetings I just crochet and it helps me focus it's been a really good thing so try something a bit out there a bit random I mean, I'm not normally a creative person but it's worked for me I've nearly made a blanket and I've got a scarf on the way so just push push the boat out try something different and it, it's been really beneficial oh yeah so similar thing um, like colouring, because I know on Amazon they all sold out the colouring books, so I feel like a lot of people started colouring. And in my house, I used to get it out, and everyone used to say, what are you doing? And then they'd grab a piece of paper and they'd start doing it, and you could tell that they enjoyed it as well. So, yeah, I'll carry on colouring, I think. I'll admit it, model making. Uh, when I was a lot younger than some of you people in this room, uh, I used to build planes, uh, loads and loads of planes down bonfire night, um, I used to put bangers in the back and throw them out of the bedroom window and explode them. That was my thing. Um, but my lad's into World of Warcraft and modelling, he does a bit of that. Uh, so I got an airfix kit, he bought me an airfix kit. Um, and now I've got maturity on my side and time and patience that spending hours making it just look just right. Just I've got this little perfection thing as well. So perfection fits it really, really well. So I've gone back into model making. So, um, yeah, not all day, every day. But when I need to just chill out, podcast on, paints out, modeling away for an hour. Proper chill out, that's mine. I used to um, make airfix models. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of anything I've taken up. Um, I don't know if Canva can count. Like creating stuff, yeah, <laughs> creating social media posts. That's not a really exciting one. Has anyone got any more exciting one than that? Oh. Yeah? A couple of things I took up. Um, yeah, so, you know, with lockdown, you have a lot of free time. And I was craving a sense of routine or something to fill in sort of gaps. So I took up ukulele. Uh, so I started playing the ukulele. It's pretty fun. I used to play guitar, but I was rubbish. 
So I thought I'll just get a mini version with less strings. It's way better. And then origami. I'm not very good at any of these things. I did them though. Origami, <laughs> ukulele. Um, started writing poetry more um, as a means, as an emotional outlet, just for myself. Because obviously being by yourself, isolated, there's a lot on your mind and there's not necessarily someone to talk to. So you just sort of express it in different ways. And that's it really. You got anything? Um, I mean, I've been model making for years and years, so um, I fully understand <laughs> that response. So there's something quite zen about uh, making models that I think a lot of people don't realise. Um, actually, over lockdown, and um, I'm going to sound pretty basic for saying this, but for the first time in my life, I actually got into playing FIFA. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's something about uh, playing FIFA where you can just completely shut your mind off. <laughs> and just pretend the world doesn't exist. <laughs> um, you know, you don't have to have it on too high setting. I mean, it, I mean, I'm not really a football fan. I'm more of a rugby fan, so I don't really know who anyone is, which I think is a benefit in that I can just play without without sort of getting involved in the drama. Of it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was me. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of something interesting, but. Um... The only thing I can really think of is um, Fern Cotton has a really, really brilliant podcast that I listen to. Uh, it's called The Happy Place and she has like celebrity guests every week and they talk about their experiences, their coping mechanisms. Um, and when I was doing really terrible during the third lockdown, that was like one of the main things that helped me, like listening to people that I knew and had like a really high social profile and listening to them and thinking, oh my God, I can actually, they actually relate to me. Um, so yeah, that podcast, if anyone's heard of it, it's, it's brilliant, um, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what, I have heard of that one. Um, I thought of one, um, I started walking, but without a dog. Like, I used to never go on walks by myself, unless I had a dog with me. Um, that's not that fun, but I feel like that's most people's lockdown one. Do you want to add something funny? I mean, I agree that dogs do make everything better, but um, it's, it's not not as highbrow podcast as a uh, fern cottons. But um, I, when I was working on screens all the time, like I ruined my eyesight. I w wasn't actually a glasses wearer at the start of the pandemic. I am now, but um, I took up listening to podcasts. I don't think we can swear on here, so I won't say the name. But um, it's Chris and Rosie Ramsey's podcast. If anyone knows that one, um, the name of that. Um, is something married noid, um, fill in the blanks in your own time. But um, basically that podcast got me through lockdown. I've only just caught up. I started from the beginning. They've done like nearly 200 episodes and I finally went to see them. And that was a big step for me to go into a crowded space and watch them after lockdown. But just listening to them talk about kind of pre-COVID life and then when I caught up to COVID life and then post-COVID life, it's just really helped me to just have something to just laugh and listen to. Um, and my partner and I lived and worked together um, for six months unexpectedly in a, a small space and that was something we did we just put the podcast on and just listen so that we didn't have to talk to each other when we had really long hard days and didn't want to talk to anyone anymore so it was really really beneficial thanks everyone um so i hope everyone enjoyed our random things that we took up during lockdown